Verse 11 through 22 will be our verses this afternoon. Now it came to pass, or actually, now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his fellow Hebrews and looked at their hard laborers, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow Hebrews. So he looked this way and that, When he saw that there was no one around, he struck and killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Now he went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard, about, Pharaoh heard about this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat there by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filling the troughs with water, their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to their father, Reuel, he said, why have you come back so soon? They said, an Egyptian saved us from the shepherds, and what is more, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses was willing to live with the man, and he gave his daughter, Sipporah, to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, saints. You may be seated. Last time we were together in Exodus, we saw the evil decree from Pharaoh, which essentially was that all new baby boys were to be thrown into Nile to die. But we read that there are some that did not comply to Pharaoh's commands. We see that in two women. Shifra and Shifra and Pua. And secondly, we see that in a mother who gave birth to a son. No, we can say it a little bit better than that. She gave birth to a savior. This boy's name was Moses. And what we saw early in the life of Moses is that God's hand of protection was clearly upon him. First, by being born to a mother who chose to love him over killing him. Secondly, by being placed in a basket, set off in a Nile, and then miraculously surviving. And thirdly, being found by the unlikeliest of people, Pharaoh's daughter, who had the unlikeliest of attitude toward him. She had pity toward him, or on him. The daughter of the one who wants to kill all Hebrew baby boys is the one who actually saves a Hebrew baby boy. Ironic, is it not? I mean, this is one of the things that we learn, saints of God, is that God is in the business of using his enemies against him. Can you see Moses? Can you see him, church, as a little boy running around Pharaoh's house in plain sight of the enemy who would actually liberate God's people? Very, very ironic. But as we come to verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2, that little baby boy that we learned about last Lord's Day is now grown up. 
Growing up, saints of God, is hard, is it not? And a part of growing up is that we must discover many things about ourselves. We find out what we enjoy. We find out what our favorite food is. We have to find out when we go to school for where do we want to work? Where do we want to live in this life? Or maybe the hardest question of growing up is simply this. Searching for your identity. Searching for who you are in this life. Who we are. Who do we belong to? What are we doing here on this earth? Church, we live in a world where people are constantly trying to find themselves. A poll was recently taken and stated that some 5.1% of adults or younger then 30 identify themselves as trans or non-binary. Which means, church, that there are some people in this world that don't even claim the very gender or sex that is naturally theirs. They're searching. They're trying to find. This question of who, what, why is one that we all must face in our life. In Moses, we find something similar to all of us. In Moses, we find something similar to what we see in the world today. No, no, not that Moses is confused about his sex or gender. But the question of who do I belong to is what plagues Moses' mind. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Today, church, if you bear with me, today we will... See the search of one's identity. How one comes to find who they are. Which saints, the question I have for you to answer today for yourself is, who are you? Who do you belong to? Who are your people? And are you satisfied in who you are? Who are you? Who do you belong to? Who are your people? And are you satisfied with your answers? The first question is quickly answered in verse 11 of our text. Verse 11, now it came in about in those days when Moses had grown up and he went out to his fellow Hebrews and looked at their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian being beat, or rather an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow Hebrews. The baby that we were introduced to in verses 1 through 11 is now older, maybe about 40 years old. And we don't know much about Moses' childhood, but we can speculate of what it would be like growing up in Pharaoh's household. I can imagine it would be like growing up in the king's palace. You would have anything and everything at your disposal. You would be eating the finest of foods. You would be wearing the finest of clothes. You would be going to the finest and best of schools. Money would be no hindrance. You would be respected, feared, and loved by many. Essentially, growing up in Pharaoh's household is you would live what the world calls the good life. Moses, according to the world's estimation, lived the good life. But sometime in Moses' childhood, his mother sat him down. And no, it wasn't to explain to him the birds and the bees. 
But some time in Moses' childhood, Moses' mother explained to him where he came from. This is clearly implied in verse 11, where it says Moses goes out, sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow brothers, or rather Hebrews. Again, or rather this word fellow Hebrews can be translated as fellow brothers, fellow brothers. He's seeing one of his own getting beat. He, he sees one of his kinsmen getting beat. He, he sees one who, who he identifies with getting beat. As I say, church, Moses was aware of who he is. And church, this is the first lesson for us today. Who are you? Who are you? And lo, let's go beyond the questions of metaphysics and being. Who are you? Let's go beyond the questions of gender, race, and sex. Who are you? Let's go beyond social status and where we fall. Who are you spiritually? Who do you identify yourself with? Uh, we live in a day and age where people are always trying to place labels on others. Are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Are you independent? Are you pro-choice or pro-life? Even within our own church context, are you a Presbyterian, are you a Baptist? But saints of God, the Bible says we aren't to identify ourselves by our political ideas or social status. But says the Bible, or rather, we're not to identify ourselves with our uh, favorite sports teams, or our favorite hobbies. But rather, the Bible says we are to identify ourselves from the perspective of eternity. That is how we identify ourselves. Oh, how I love St. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And then he says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here, church, St. Paul says the dividing wall of what separates people in hell and people in heaven lies in how one views the cross. Here, church, essentially, St. Paul is saying is, if you want to separate who is in Christ or who is of the world, what do you say about the cross? What do you say about this work of this bloody Savior? Because what you say about this work is what determines one's eternal destiny. We can say it is the cross that separates all of human life. It is the cross, saints of God, that separates those below and those who are above. Friends, let me ask you, what do you say about the cross? What do you say about the cross of Jesus Christ? Because what you say about the cross identifies who you are. But let me not play dumb. I pray as every minister prays, and rightfully so, and fittingly so, every minister should preach to a congregation as if and it, as if they are saved. I'm preaching to some saved people today. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching to not unbelievers, but believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to a group of people who believe, who believe 
that the cross is actually the wisdom of God and not the folly of man. I'm preaching to a group of people, saints of God, who might, when they think of the cross, shed silent tears. When they think of what Christ has done for them. I'm preaching to a group of people who say that the cross is where my sin was nailed and where the burdens of my back are rather of, my, of, of, of all of what I've done and Adam laid on Christ's back. I'm preaching to a group of people who say the cross is where is where the greatest act of love was put on display. Oh, saints of God, if you're like me, I'm preaching to a group of people who say like that old great hymn, the cross, the cross is where I first saw the light. Where the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all day long. If you're like me, saints of God, you say that the cross is where where my whole life changed. Amen. The cross is where is where everything in my life changed. The cross is what made all the difference in my life. It's what made Paul, St. Paul, say such things like, I determined to know nothing among you. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It made it made St. Peter say words like he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Saints of God, in this day and age of labels and identification. Let us boldly declare whether in the public square or private arena that we are Christians, that we are Christians. That's hard, is it not? It might be hard in this day and age to declare something that might get you into hot water. It might be hard, saints of God, to declare something that's of unpopular opinion. It might be hard, saints of God, because saying you're a Christian might bring with it debates. It might bring with it certain stigmas. It might bring with it questions. But church of God, if you if you hear me this afternoon... Let me give you some encouragement that if you're ever hesitant to identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, remember, saints of God, that that he first identified himself with you. That, that if you're ever hesitant to identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, remember that he first identified himself with your sorry self and with my sorry self. No, let me say it better than that. That, that Jesus Christ, the one who was altogether glorious, chose to identify himself with those of us who are altogether hideous. I could say it a little bit better than that. No, the one, saints of God, who was altogether most holy, chose to identify himself with us who are altogether most sinful. This is why, church, in the day that we're living in, living in of, of cancel culture, that people are so quick to throw others out of the building. This is why, saints of God, in a day and age when you're saying you're a Christian is of unpopular opinion. This is why what Christ did for me, I can say, and I'm not ashamed to say, that I'm a Christian. Amen. That I'm a Christian. You want to talk about virtue in the internal life. You need virtue to say in this day and age that you're a Christian. You need some virtue to say in this day and age that, that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why, saints, is because my Jesus, because my Jesus wasn't ashamed to be numbered among the transgressors. I can say that I'm a Christian because Christ wasn't ashamed to say, I'm with them. 
I can say I'm with Jesus because my Savior wasn't ashamed to say that he's with me. No one, saints of God, has said this better than St. Paul in Galatians 6.17. He says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me. For I bear in my marks, or rather, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Stay with me, church, please. In other words, St. Paul saying here that I've been branded. He's saying that I've been marked. He's saying that I've been stamped. He's saying that I got some marks on me that show that I don't belong to the world, but I belong to Jesus Christ. Which means, church, that you don't have to worry about being, you don't have to worry about fitting in. In this life, you don't have to worry about trying to fit in with the crowd. Because when grace touches your soul, saints of God, when Christ has done something for you, you're going to show the world. You're not going to be able to hide that you're with Jesus. There's just some things that come out of you. There's just some things that you say that show to the world that you identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, church, if one asks you, if someone asks you, who do you identify yourself with? Who do you belong to? Saints of God, be bold. Be bold to say that you identify yourself with the one who died on that old rugged cross. To be bold, saints of God, to say you identify with the one who not only hung the stars, but also hung on that tree. Be bold, saints of God, to say that you identify yourself with the one who went around doing good, who healed the sick, who gave sight to the blind, who died and was buried. But early Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. Saints of God. Say, I identify with Jesus. That's who I identify myself with, with Jesus Christ. Church, this is what the first lesson we learn in verses 11. That Moses sees his fellow Hebrew. And he's not ashamed to label himself with his fellow Hebrew. He's a Hebrew like the one that's getting beat. Think of Moses when he sees this man getting beat. Something I'm sure wasn't a new thing for him to see growing up. Think of what Moses' life was like growing up, if you would, saints of God, seeing his fellow kinsmen, his fellow brothers getting beat. Think of him being treated as lower than less class citizens, his his brothers being treated as lesser tier. So one day Moses goes out and what catches his eye is an Egyptian beating his brother. He sees an Egyptian beating a man from, from a glance that looks like this man, this Egyptian, is trying to kill his brother. We've seen this picture before, have we not? Have you not seen this picture before? Well, if you look at a glance, it looks like that person over there is trying to kill them. Uh, I can remember, or rather I can think of a video of those malicious and evil police officers who in, in 91 beat a black man. Rodney King with some nightsticks. That is the type of beating that this Egyptian is inflicting upon Moses' fellow brother. So Moses sees such beating and he takes matters into his own hands. Verse 12. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no one around, he struck and killed the Egyptian and hid his body and in the sand. And now the words looked this way and that way can be wrongly misinterpreted because many read this and think that Moses and what he's doing is premeditated murder that Moses 
is trying to avoid being detected of what he's going to do. So he looks this way, he looks that way to make sure the coast is clear for him to kill someone. But thanks to God, we should not read this text that way. Moses is not looking this way and that way to see if there's any witnesses in order for him to kill a man. But rather, the language of looking this way and that way is similar to the language of Isaiah in, a, in Isaiah 59, 16, when Isaiah says, and he saw that there was no one and was amazed that there was not one to intercede. Moses is not worried about someone catching him, but rather he's looking around to see if someone would intervene. He's, he's looking around and saying to himself, do you see what I'm seeing? Do you see the injustice that's going on? Do, do, do you see this man getting beat to death? That's what Moses is doing, saints of God. So what does he do then? What does he do? Well, the same beating that the Egyptian was putting on this Hebrew, Moses puts on the Egyptian. He puts on this Egyptian a good old-fashioned whooping. So much so that he kills the man and he buries the man. Kills him and buries him. Now, church, we can be here for approximately five hours answering all of the moral questions that this that this uh, arises, because believe me, I read a lot and we can have those conversations after church because I would love to. Is Moses actually in the wrong here? Is Moses actually doing something that's unjust? We can have those those debates and those those conversations. But what we find in the scene, saints of God, is something of Moses beginning to find his identity. We see in this scene in verse 12, a leader of injustice beginning to give birth. We see, saints of God, in this scene, a liberator beginning to take shape. But for our instruction today, we see something of to whom we are to identify ourselves with. To whom we are to identify ourselves with. Well, yes, we can identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ought to. This text teaches us that we are also to identify ourselves with Christ's people. With Christ's people. That is to say, when Jesus saves someone, he saves that one into a family. Into a group of people unlike any in this earth. You see, Christians may differ on things like who should be baptized, babies, or believers. We debate things like what is the proper element at the Lord's Supper, juice or wine? But saints of God, true family members of the faith, will never debate St. Paul's essential message of the Christian faith, which says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Family members don't debate that. It is this message, saints of God, not our favorite sports teams. Not our favorite restaurants, not our political affiliations, but this message of Jesus Christ is what links every believer together. Just as we are not to be ashamed to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, we are likewise not to be ashamed to identify ourselves with Christ's people. I didn't get an amen there. 
But hopefully in your mind you said amen. With Christ's people. In other words, church, those who are sitting to the left of you, those who are sitting to the right of you, those who are sitting in back of you, those sitting in front of you, we are never to be hesitant to say, that's my brother and that's my sister. Yeah, I know. I know, believe me, I grew up in church. Christians are very strange. But we were saved by a strange God. Christians, saints of God, I know, are a little weird. But Jesus loves weird people. And in Moses, we see something of how we are to treat our fellow brothers and sisters. You see him, church. You see him watching his fellow brother getting beat. And instead of turning his head, he steps in to help. Do you see that, saints? He sees his brother getting beat, and instead of turning a blind eye, he goes to help his brother. Instead of stepping out, he steps in. Here Moses shows not only his heroic character, but also he shows us what Christian love looks like. This is what Christian love looks like. Out of my two sons, there's only one of them that looks like their father. My son Owen not only looks like me, but oftentimes Leela reminds me that he acts just like me. And saints of God, there is much proof that Moses, or rather that Owen, is like his father. Much proof. The question I have for you today is this, saints. What proof do you have that you resemble your heavenly father? What proof do you have? Yes, you can say, well, inwardly, I'm virtuous. You can say all the things that Pastor Antonio said to do this morning. I pray, I contemplate. I have all those things which you ought to do. But saints of God, there is to be a certain synergy to what the interior life brings in the man. It shows out externally. How? What is the proof that you look like your heavenly father? Here's the great news. I don't need to give you a list. I, you don't need to even give me all your proofs. The word of God answers it for us. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. How do you know that you are of the Father? How do you know that you identify with your Father by loving one another? That that is the proof, saints of God. We can say that love for fellow believers is the birthmark of every Christian. Because when we love one another, we are communicating the love of God to one another. The love of God, or rather, our love for each other, it confirms the indwelling of God in our souls. And the love that Moses shows forth is a love, saints of God, that cannot sit back and watch while his brother is hurting. It's a love that can't sit back and watch while one's ship is sinking. We see this in Moses, do we not? The text says that he sees his fellow Hebrew getting beat, which says something about our vision as Christian saints of God. Because, saints of God, we aren't to think that the Christian life is to be viewed from the vantage point of me, myself, and I. But rather, saints of God, the eyes of the saints are always to have eyes on the saints. You are to always have eyes on other people. 
your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I heard of a girl who joined the church, loved the church, within three months left the church. And her reasoning, saints of God, of why she left the church was she didn't like people asking her too many questions. Essentially, she didn't want no one in her business. She didn't like people in her business. But saints of God, my Bible teaches me that true Christians are to be all up in other Christians' business. That's what the word of God teaches us. That's what all the one another's teach us. Is that true Christians are to be all up in other Christians' business. And I don't know about you, church. But I need my fellow church members to be in my business. I, I, I need you to ask me how I'm doing. I need the daily checkups. I need the daily I'm praying for you text messages. I need those things. And saints of God, I pray you need those things because this is what Christian love looks like. And church, there's a whole lot of love that we have experienced in our life, is it not? But saints of God, there ain't nothing like Christian love. There is nothing like Christian love. Now, I know some of y'all been hurt by church folk before. I know that. But saints of God, I've been to the grocery store and I've seen some bad strawberries in the container and I still buy strawberries. I've been to Albertsons off Mount Burton. Don't go there to buy fish. And I bought some fish later to open the fish, smell it, and it smelled nasty. But I still buy fish. What I'm trying to tell you, saints of God, is that one bad experience with church people does not define church people. And if I could be honest with you, church, I'll take the church and all of her flaws over the world in all of its perfection. I'll tell you why, church. I'll tell you why. Pastor Antonio just preached numerous amount of sermons on it because Jesus Christ is not coming back to unite America. I'll take the church and her flaws because Jesus Christ is not coming back for this world. I'll take the church and all of her flaws because Jesus Christ is coming back for the church. Because Christ is coming for the church and all of her flaws to make her perfect. Christians ought to love being with the saints. Hear me now. Christians, you ought to love being with one another here on Sunday. You ought to love it. This is something that you ought to long. You ought to to long to come into this house of God and and hear Sister Ophi sing, you know, obnoxiously as she does, but as lovingly as she does, happy birthday. You ought to love to to come in this house and, and see all the babies running around. See Brother Dustin as loud as he is. Say hello to every single person. You ought to love saints of God, seeing others. Saints of God, I've been to many places. I've met many people. But saints, I got to tell you, there ain't nothing like being with the people of God. Amen. There is nothing like being with the people of God. I can never experience out there what I can experience in here with you all. And with you all, I can never experience, saints of God, anything out there, what we experience in here. There are times when I want to be by myself, and that's fine. There are times when I want to spend time with my kids, and it's great. But saints of God, there's something about being with the one another's. There's something about being with Christ's people. 
Where else, saints of God? Where else can you call on someone to bury your burdens with you? Where else can you call on someone who will love you and comfort you the way church people can? Where else, saints of God, can you see someone on Sunday and know that you're going to see that same person for all eternity? Saints of God, my challenge for us in 2024 is simply this. If you want to be great at something, let's be great at loving Christ church. Let's be great at loving Christ church. And no, I don't mean, saints of God, being great at just coming and sitting down. I don't mean just coming and hearing a sermon and partaking the Lord's Supper. I'm talking about coming and loving on Christ's people. I'm talking about not, let me say this as kindly as I can. I'm talking about staying after church. Not being so quick to leave. Wives, leave your husbands alone. Husbands, leave your wives alone. They don't want to be around you. And you don't want to be around them. They don't need a chaperone. They don't need you. No, no, no. Go to someone else. And love on them. Go on someone else and tell them how you're doing. I hear you and I'm praying for you. Go to someone else. Show them the love of Christ. Saints of God, Moses teaches us in verses 12 and 13 this type of love. He sees his brother getting beat, but also he sees both of his brothers fighting one another. And he steps in. He steps in because that's what Christian love does. Verses 13 through 22. Now he went out the next day. Behold, two Hebrews were fighting with one another. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a ruler or judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely this matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard about this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came back to draw water and fill the trials with water their father's flock. To water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove away them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to their father, Morel, he said, why have you come back so soon today? They said, an Egyptian saved us from the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it? That you have left this man behind. Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses was willing to live with the man. And he gave him his daughter Sephora to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son and named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Much takes place in verses 13 to 22. It's clear from verse 13 that word has gotten around that Moses has killed a man. So in fear of his own life, Moses flees Egypt and he goes to Midian. It is here where once again we see... Moses' character began to take shape. He, he defends two women from harassing, uh, from two, uh, from some, some harassing shepherds. And the two daughters' father hears about Moses and he invites him over to eat and he even gives Moses one of his daughters. Moses has a son, names him pretty much after where he's at in his life. I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And there's much that we can comment on and we'll come back to when we get to chapter three. 
but in keeping with the theme of identity, I just want us to consider one verse before my sermon is done. It's found in verse 21. It says, and Moses was willing to live with a man. Moses was willing to live with a man. It is this short and seemingly insignificant statement where we find a jewel in the Christian life. Moses, for so long, was content to live in Moses and Pharaoh's household, to enjoy the life of all of what it means to be an Egyptian, to enjoy, saints of God, what the world would consider a good life. Until one day, until one day, saints, until one day, he was content no more. Until one day, he flees from what all of Egypt seems to offer. Essentially, Moses goes from being the prince of Egypt to being a nobody in Midian. And is there in Midian, at the most unlikeliest of places, where Moses for a short time finds contentment. Finds contentment. Church, what we see in Moses is something of our own experience, is it not? Because here we see God was not only getting Moses out of Egypt, but also in the process he was getting Egypt out of Moses. He was squeezing out every single piece that Egypt has in Moses' soul. Moses finding contentment in Midian shows us that Moses was more concerned with who he is rather than the privileges that came with what he wasn't. Let me say that again. Moses is more concerned with who he is rather than the privileges of what came with who he wasn't and what he wasn't. My last question to you, church, is are you content in Jesus Christ? Are you content in Jesus Christ? Has all of Egypt been removed from your soul? Has every single ounce of what you used to be been removed from your soul. Pastor Antonio talked about the interior life this morning. And if you want to live the interior life, you also can't live a life of sin, as he said. Has every ounce of indwelling sin been accounted for in your own life? You know, saints of God, one of the greatest lies from the enemy is that true contentment is only found in this life. That true contentment is only found in this life. The saints of God, this is what plagues the human heart, is it not? For people are not only searching for their identity, but they're also searching to be content. But friends, if you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith in Christ alone, then I have some good news for you today. That Jesus not only takes care of our sin problem, but Jesus also takes care of our search for being content problem. Jesus not only takes care of our hell problem, he also takes care of our search for being happiness problem. Saints of God, you remember St. Paul's words in Philippians 4, don't you? Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, imagine a big publishing company reads these words from St. Paul. And he goes to St. Paul and he says, St. Paul, or rather Paul, I heard what you said. You say you have the secret to contentment. You have a secret to being content in this world. Let's make some money and try to sell it. What do you think Paul's answer would be? Paul's answer, if I can imagine, would say that my secret is actually no secret at all. In fact, my secret is something that you can't sell because it's been revealed for the whole world to know. My secret is something that you can't make money off of, but all you got to do is believe it. The secret contentment, saints of God, is Jesus Christ. That's the secret to contentment. That's the secret, saints of God, of being ultimately satisfied in this life. Is Jesus Christ in him alone. The secret, saints of God, is saying that I may not have everything I want. But in Jesus Christ, I have everything I need. The, the secret saints of God is saying that I may not be able to see the seven wonders of the world. But I will one day see God. The secret saints of God is not how well I'm doing in my life. But the secret is how well Christ did in his life. The secret saints of God is I don't have to be of the world. To live with contentment in the world. I may not eat a ribeye every night. I may have to catch the bus to certain places. Uh, you know, my car may be one repair away from breaking down. And I still be may be wearing the same clothes I've been wearing for the past 10 years. If you haven't noticed, I have. But saints of God, the secret is trusting the Lord when he said, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen. And all these things will be added to you. Church, before I close my sermon, let me just ask this one last question. But what did Moses find contentment in? What did Moses find contentment in? It says he was willing. It says he was content. What did he find in Midian that wasn't in Egypt? Was it, saints of God, his newborn son and wife? Did he find contentment in that? Was it his great relationship with his father-in-law? Was it that? Was it simply his new life in Midian? How can Moses leave the riches of Egypt and never look back? Hebrews 11 gives us the answer. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. And here's the answer here. Considering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses' story in these ten verses is our story, is it not? Can't you see your story in Moses here? Moses fled from Egypt just as God drove us out of the world. Moses finds contentment and we have found contentment. And Moses' reason 
is our reason as well. Jesus Christ. Let us pray.